Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinny Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you never opened a Bible or have read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Today, our topic is going to be Nehemiah's enemies. Let's begin in Nehemiah chapter 2. In Nehemiah, the second chapter, beginning in the second verse, it says, Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad, when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah, and a letter unto Asaph the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I came to the governors beyond the river, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly, that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Verse 10 is very revealing. It says, When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly, that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Nehemiah had his prayer answered. God gave him favor with the king, and he now had the opportunity to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, the city that God chose specifically for his people. The long-awaited time had finally come for the city to be rebuilt, and Nehemiah was the man that God called and raised up to lead the work. Even though God was orchestrating this work, and brought it about, even though it was a good work, meant to be a great blessing to the Israelites, not everyone was happy. Nehemiah quickly made a lot of enemies. Two of his most prominent enemies were Sanballat and Tobiah. Their reaction to the news gives us insight into their character. Knowing about Nehemiah's work didn't just annoy them or bother them, it says it grieved them. And not only did it grieve them, It grieved them exceedingly. This is beyond normal grief. Grief has to do with loss, 
We grieve when we lose something or someone that we love. They were enemies of the people of God. They were serving the devil and working for him. And when they saw the work of God getting underway, they felt like they were losing ground and they felt like they were losing the battle. They loved evil and couldn't stand to see good being done. It says that they were grieved because there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. In Hebrew, the term grieved means to be broken up, and the term exceedingly means bad or evil, naturally or morally. This shows that they themselves were evil, their intentions were evil, and when they heard of good, it broke them, it aided them, and it grieved them. More than anything else, it grieved them because they were losing control of the people of God. Soon God's people would be out of their grasp and out from under their watchful eye. And there is nothing more the devil wants than control. This shows us a small part of the opposition that Nehemiah was against. The word seek in verse 10 in the Hebrew means to search out by any method, specifically in worship or prayer, to strive after. This is what Nehemiah did. After he was told about the state of Jerusalem, it grieved him, just like his enemies were grieved in the opposite way. And he responded by praying and worshiping. Chapter 1, verse 4 says, And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. His prayer released the power. And we see that in chapter 2. God answered his prayer. He was granted his desire. He won this battle. But it was only one battle. The war was only beginning. This is more than just a political war over whether the Israelites should have their own sovereignty or not. This was a spiritual war between good and evil. It went beyond what was perceptible in the natural. Nehemiah understood this because he was seeking to do good to God's people while his enemies were seeking to do evil to them. The battle lines were clearly drawn between good and evil. Fighting this spiritual warfare while rebuilding the city only added to his mission. He had his work cut out for him. Verse 17 says, Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. There was a lot to do. It was hard work, but God was raising up his people for the task at hand. The last part of verse 18 says, So they strengthened their hands for this good work. When the people were ready and the work was ready to begin, Sambalat and Tobiah returned. Verse 19 says, But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? These men were fools. They were wise in their own conceit. They were mocking and laughing at God's people, and they were mocking and laughing at the work of God. Not only this, but they despised his people and his work. This only further demonstrated their weakness, because laughter of this type is only a mask for insecurity. They were making a grave mistake, because they weren't only mocking and despising the Lord's people and his work, they were mocking and despising God himself. They not only wanted to silence and stop his people, they wanted to silence and stop God, which is always the ultimate goal of the devil, 
although he never has been and never will be successful. Galatians 6 and 7 tells us, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. When they chose to laugh at God, they were cementing their own fate. Because God won't stand to be mocked. He'll instead laugh at them. Proverbs 126 says, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. Sambalot and Tobiah were destroying themselves. These men wouldn't stop trying to destroy the work of the people of God. They were a continual thorn in Nehemiah's side. We find them again in chapter 4. Chapter 4 verses 1 to 3 say, But it came to pass that when Sambalot heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation, and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria, and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. We find here again, that they were mocking the Jews, and we see the amount and the level of their anger that they had. The word wrath in Hebrew means to glow or grow warm, to blaze up, anger, zeal, or jealousy. Just like a certain type of laughter is indicative of insecurity, a certain type of anger is indicative of jealousy, and these two go hand in hand. They're two sides of the same coin. There was a certain part of them, a part that they tried to outwardly cover up through anger, that was jealous. They were jealous of the Jews. They were jealous that God blessed them. And they were jealous that they were prospering. Their jealousy, like jealousy in any situation, if nurtured, leads to envy, which then leads to resentment, which then ultimately leads to hatred. Sambalat and Tobiah went down this dangerous path. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 4. In Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in the 7th verse, it says, But it came to pass that when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them, and slay them, and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass, that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, From all places when she shall return unto us, they will be upon you. Therefore said I in the lower places behind the walls, and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Verse 8 said, And conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. The word for conspired in Hebrew means bind up, make a conspiracy, join together, to work treason. This is another aspect of what was occurring. Treason is a strong word. It has to do with selling out one's own country and betraying one's own people. But this was what was happening. Not only was Sambalot part of the priesthood, which we know from chapter 13, 
but also many scholars believe that Sambalat was a leader of the Samaritans. The Samaritans were half Jewish and half Gentile. Their race came about after the Assyrian captivity of the northern kingdom of Israel in 721 BC. Certain people from the nation of Israel stayed behind. These people intermarried with the Assyrians, producing the Samaritans. Even though those going back to rebuild Jerusalem were fully Jewish, it's clear that Sambalat was fighting against his own people, people who shared the same ancestry as him, which was treason. He was also actively working against the king and his orders because the king had already given Nehemiah full permission. This was also treason. He worst of all was actively working against the God of his own people, trying to stop the work that God had set in motion. He was trying to curse what God had already blessed. This was treason in the highest and most ultimate form. He was a traitor to his people, a traitor to his country, and a traitor to his God. He was a traitor in the fullest, deepest sense, and this was manifested clearly in his character and in his actions. It was to the point where he wanted to subtly come in among them and kill them in order to get them to stop building. He was prepared to stop at nothing to stop them. But even in the midst of all his attacks and all his opposition, God protected and strengthened his people. Their enemies failed in their attempt, and all their conspiring was for nothing. Nehemiah said in verses 14 to 15, And I looked and rose up, and said unto the nobles, and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. And it came to pass, when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his works. The attacks were unsuccessful. The work only continued and grew stronger and closer to completion. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning in the first verse. Now it came to pass when Sambla and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sambla and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Anno. But they fought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. Then sent Sambalot his servant unto me in a like manner the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. Wherein was written, It is reported among the heathen, and Gashmu saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall that thou mayest be their king, according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king, according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. Then I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work that it be not done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Afterward I came unto the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Medabiel, who was shut up, 
And he said, Let us meet together in the house of God, within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee, yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. And I said, Should such a man as I flee? And who is there, that being as I am, would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. Therefore was he hired, that I should be afraid, and do so in sin, and that they might have the matter for an evil report, that they might reproach me. My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sambalot, according to these their works, and of the prophetess Noadiah, and the rest of their prophets, that they would have put me in fear. This is the last time Sambalot and Tobiah attacked and plotted against Nehemiah before the wall was completed, although they continued to attack long after. First, they kept sending messengers to Nehemiah to try to discourage him and wear him out. They thought if they could annoy him enough, they could get him to stop. Then they made false accusations against him, saying he was only rebuilding the city in order to make himself a king over them. They, in effect, were accusing him of committing treason, the very crime that they themselves were committing. This is called projection, and we see it constantly in our own day. They lied to themselves so many times that they deceived themselves and led themselves astray, believing their own delusions. It got to the point where Nehemiah had to answer their accusations. In verse 8, he said, Then I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart. Nehemiah wouldn't give in to their lies and slander. He stood his ground. He wouldn't back down from what he knew to be true. Sambalat and Tobiah even hired a man, Shemaiah, to try to trick and seduce Nehemiah. But he was able to discern what was going on and avoided their trap. These men, who were working so desperately against God, even had the audacity in the 10th verse to want to meet Nehemiah in the house of God. This shows their complete disregard for God and for the things of God. They only cared about themselves and serving the enemy, but nothing that they did worked. Through all their spiritual warfare, through all the attacks, the lies, the slander, the laughter, and the mocking, Nehemiah and the Israelites didn't fear. They took courage and they overcame. They stayed faithful and they brought the work of God to completion. And because of this, God blessed them and he prospered them. The first phrase of verse 15 says, So the wall was finished. Then verse 16 tells us, And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. The New Living Translation translates this verse as when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it. They were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. God brought justice upon them. The same way that they wanted to frighten and humiliate Nehemiah, God did the same to them. In the end, they were forced to realize and to acknowledge that the work was the work of God. As always, God won the war. It's not just important to know and understand these things in order to better understand history. It's also important for our lives, because day to day, we go through many similar things to what Nehemiah did. When we became born again, just like when Nehemiah's prayer was answered, not everyone was happy. 
We've seen people that we thought were our friends become our enemies. Instead of trying to encourage us and support us, they try to tear us down and destroy our faith. In the natural, this seems to be confusing, and over time, it becomes disenchanting. We can't seem to understand it at first, but this is because it's not a natural issue. It's a supernatural issue. It's spiritual warfare. When we surrendered our lives to Christ, we identified ourselves with God and with His kingdom. And from that moment on, the battle lines were drawn and the war commenced. The devil uses the people serving him to attack us, to try to overwhelm and to hinder us, and to try to get us to give up. But if we faithfully resist the attacks of the enemy by refusing to give in to his lies, we will overcome and be all the better and all the stronger because of it. The devil will attempt to throw everything in his arsenal at us, especially as we grow deeper in our faith. The devil only attacks trees that bear fruit, because when we're living out our faith, producing fruit, we pose a real threat to his kingdom and to his interests, and he wants to neutralize that threat by overturning our faith. There will be people who mock us and laugh at us for our faith, trying to humiliate us and demoralize us. There will be people who try to friend us and intimidate us in order to make us fearful. But we have to be able to discern these attacks and see them for what they are. The devil's attacks aren't what they seem. They're like a dog that is all bark and no bite. People dislike us because they don't understand us. We're an enigma to them. They can't figure out why we have love and joy and hope and peace in our life. They may laugh at us, but their outward laughter only shows their inward insecurity. They see all that we have, especially our assurance and our security in Christ, and they realize that we have something that they don't. We have something that they need but can't find, and this makes them insecure. They may outwardly try to laugh the problem away, but on the inside it's eating at them. Other people may be angry at us, but like we saw earlier, their anger just shows that they're jealous. They're jealous of what we have, and they're jealous of the blessings and the prosperity from God that we enjoy. And they're jealous of who we are in Christ. Their jealousy doesn't even end in itself. That would have been bad enough. But it leads them to envy, to resentment, and eventually to hatred. Once we understand the attacks of the enemy, that outwardly appear horrible, but are only a mask for the weakness that lies behind them, we will be better prepared to resist them. It's easier to resist the attacks when we know that there's nothing to them. There's nothing backing them up. The enemy's attacks are the same as the enemy himself. He may seem powerful and strong, but really he's weak, he's worthless, and he's nothing. When we wrap our heads around this, resisting not only becomes easier, it becomes second nature to us because we see through the veil, which gives us the necessary courage to resist and to overcome. The philosopher Plato once said, Courage is knowing what not to fear. We should never fear the devil or his attacks because there's nothing backing them up. All he does is lie to us continually. Isaiah 14 and 16, referring to the devil, says, They that see thee should narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? The enemy is nothing, and he has no real power except that which we allow him to exert over us by not resisting him. But in the end, the devil has already lost, and justice will be brought, the same way it was to Sambalat and Tobiah. 
The same way that he's tried to humiliate us and make us fearful. In the end, he's going to be humiliated and he's going to be brought into fear. Like Nehemiah, God has called us to do his work and to do his will. When we make up our minds to be faithful, we will make enemies. We will face opposition. There will be attacks and there will be battles. But through it all, God will protect us and provide for us. As we faithfully do the work that we've been called to do, God will bless us and he will prosper us until we bring the work to completion. He'll stay with us. He won't ever leave or forsake us. Philippians 1 and 6 promises us, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you that like Nehemiah, you have called us each to do a great work for your kingdom. And that like Nehemiah, we can do good to your people and that we can be used for the welfare of your kingdom. Lord, we know that we are going to make enemies. We know that there will be battles and hardships and persecutions. But Lord, we know that through you and by the blood, we will overcome. You have made us more than conquerors. And Lord, we claim that promise today that no attack of the enemy, no weapon formed against us in the spiritual warfare will prosper, but we will come out victorious. Your word promises us so, and Lord, we claim that not only for our life, but for all the people of God everywhere in the world right now and for your kingdom. Lord, we thank you that you have set us apart, that you've chosen us for this special work, and that you've prepared us to be able to walk in wisdom and do everything that you have called us to do. Lord, the work will succeed and we will bring it to completion through the power of the Holy Spirit that you have placed within us. And Lord, above all, we give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to do the will of God and of Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. If you prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from, if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all, and we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.